In this podcast, Sanofi will talk about experimental vaccines and a few existing medicines approved for other indications. Sanofi wants to be very clear that the use of any of its medicines in COVID-19 is off-label, entirely experimental at this stage, therefore unproven. Sanofi wants to caution they are not endorsing the use of these medicines. Their intent is to explain to the society's listeners the current status of these studies. My name is uh, Gina Martini. I am the Chief Scientist for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. I'm delighted to, to introduce uh, Dr. Hubert Bland, the UK Medical Director for, for Sanofi. Hubert has kindly come in today by Skype to talk about COVID-19 and, and Sanofi's response to the pandemic. Dear Hubert, uh, good morning and, and how are you? Good morning, thank you. Yes, no, I'm, I'm fine. Um, isolated in, in rural Hampshire, so uh, so far so good. So, Hubert, before we go into the, into the interview, could you tell um, our, our members a bit, a bit more about yourself, who you are? Yes, uh, no problem. So, uh, I'm Hubert Bland, as I said. I'm a, a trained in anaesthetics and intensive care, and I've been in the pharma industry for the last 25 years. You can hear by my accent, I'm originally South African. Um, I have been working for Sanofi for the last four years. Uh, in the role as country medical lead or country medical chair. So I, I represent uh, the medical function within Sanofi, both internally and externally. Thank you. So, Hubert, I mean, Sanofi uh, obviously is well known to me because I'm an industrial pharmacist, but can you just give a bit of a background to Sanofi for our members? Because it, I think it's, I believe it's a French company or listed in on, on the French uh, stock exchange. Um, so Sanofi, as you rightly say, is a French company. Yeah, it was started uh, really in earnest as a pharmaceutical company in the, in the mid-50s. And over the years has uh, acquired a number of uh, other smaller companies and built itself into uh, the company that it is today. Um, many people will be aware of uh, Aventus back in the past and, and other organizations that have merged to become Sanofi. Uh, uh, because of these, this long history of, of mergers, we have a really, really broad portfolio um, and many drugs that people will have worked with in the past, but they won't perhaps associate with um, uh, Sanofi, are in fact ones that we've, we've developed over the years, uh, notably things like um, Lantus, for example, uh, uh, and insulin, um, sodium valparate, and, and others over the years are ones that we've um, we, we developed uh, and are brought to the market. It's in the UK. We are um, about 800 people at the moment. Uh, globally, 100,000 people. Uh, in terms of size of the organisation, globally, we're in the top 10 space uh, in the UK. Then the top two or three pharma organisations um, uh, in in the UK and also in the world. And I believe that your CEO is is a Brit, Paul Hudson. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, we're very lucky to have Paul Hudson. Uh, as our CEO, he's, uh, he's from Manchester originally, um, and, and joined us most recently from from Novartis and, and, and before that AstraZeneca. So, so obviously, COVID nineteen as, as uh, is a pandemic. What's been the Sanofi's response uh, to to COVID nineteen? I know a lot of companies have have mobilised all kinds of resources. You know, the um, we really break down our approach to the uh, the pandemic in, in four key areas. And the first one is collaboration. Collaboration uh, that is going to be taking place uh, within the pharmaceutical industry, uh, but most importantly with, with academics, with healthcare professionals and, and government and other institutions uh, to help fight uh, the pandemic. And, and the notable collaborations that you should be aware of are of course, we're working with, with BADA um, 
in the US, World Health Organization, of course, across the world, and other academic institutions uh, here in the UK. We're working very, very closely with um, the regulatory agencies, uh, Public Health England, and are really doing our very, very best and working night and day to collaborate as much as possible. I think that's one thing that is unique about this pandemic is how much collaboration we're seeing across the industry and between all organizations with the single purpose of doing our best to, to resolve the crisis as swiftly as possible. The second area that we're really working on is, is prevention. All of us are fully aware of, of the guidance that's been given to us. And as an organization internally, we were uh, right at the forefront of making sure that people were behaving, our employees were behaving in a way that minimized any spread. So we were, as soon as we were, um, received clear instruction from the government, we moved uh, and Paul Hudson made it very clear that Sanofi would be moving to you know, isolating ourselves, working from home, uh, and observing the, the guidance that we should. But perhaps more importantly and, and more interesting to um, uh, to your listeners is the work that we're doing in preventing uh, the spread of, of, of COVID-19 through, uh, through the development of, of vaccines. And so we've got two vaccine programs that we're working on, and of course we're collaborating with others. Um, I will. Uh, I can go into what, what we're doing in detail a little bit later, perhaps. But we've, we've got both a DNA vaccine, um, which is perhaps one of the more recently traditional methods. Uh, it's the backbone of how we develop our flu vaccines, some of our flu vaccines. But then we've also most recently joined forces with a with an organisation called Translate Bio, and we've got a uh, messenger RNA vaccine, which uh, which we're hoping to develop swiftly as well. So that's the prevention side. On the treatment side, which is the third arm of what we're trying to do, we're, um, we're really tackling uh, this in any way we can. And there have been a number of promising early pilot um, studies that have shown value in the use of some of our, our molecules that are, have not been indicated in this space before. And, and again, we can talk about those a little bit later, some of which are available here in the UK and on license and some of which are, uh, are not. That's where we're working as well. And then lastly, and perhaps most importantly, from a pharmacy perspective, you'll be aware that we have to get the current medication that exists for other uh, conditions uh, to the to people in, in, um, in hospitals, in pharmacies uh, and at homes. And that's all about making sure that we maintain our supply system and manufacturing. So really just a, a four-pronged attack. And I must say, I've never worked so hard in my life as over the, uh, the last few weeks. Um, it's been pretty much 18-hour days nonstop, and I'm, I'm sure everybody in the whole organization is doing exactly the same. I think the point we need to make, and, and I suppose one of the reasons we're having these, these interviews, this virus at the moment has no treatment. The only treatment is supportive care, and we need to find a treatment or a cure. And you know, let's face it, this, this is where the pharmaceutical industry is, is needed. I think that's a very important point that we need to stress that right now there isn't, there's, there's not a vaccine, there is no treatment. Uh, and so, you know, it's very important that we all work together in a collective to combat this deadly virus. Great to hear your four-pronged approach. It really is uh, very satisfying. I mean, and of course, clearly your staff want to do more, don't they? I mean, obviously the, the, the they're doing social distancing, but I'm sure they, they, they want to volunteer and get to the front line. Uh, what's been the response from your from your staff? Yeah, like like all of uh, my pharma colleagues, you know, the, the call to assist the National Health Service uh, came uh, for both clinical and non-clinical staff uh, to assist in any way that they could. We've seen almost 10% of people who could uh, participate in some way, and those who just want to help as well as um, volunteering. 
Uh, and we are very supportive of that. The organization has made it crystal clear that we are behind them 100%. They'll be released uh, on full pay uh, and, and the usual benefits, and we, we support it completely. So we're seeing a lot of our clinical staff, a lot of people with pharmacy um, uh, and pharmaceutical degrees of some description are volunteering because I, I don't know if you've seen the call from the Nightingale last night, um, you know, just really asking not only for people who can uh, operate ventilators, but a lot, a big call for people who can help with, you know, the distribution of medicines inside the Nightingale. A lot of our pharmacists have now stuck up their hand and are volunteering there. So uh, we're not alone. Uh, Sanofi are one of uh, many companies that are helping out, and uh, all of my colleagues across pharma are putting up their hands and, and doing doing what they can. That's great news, and 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 really great of Sanofi to be so supportive to this. So I think that's. Uh, well done, and well done to to you and to and to the team. Um, okay, so if we just change tack then, um, Hubert, and talk more about these these medicines and what you guys have in development. So Sanofi and Sanofi Pasteur have had a very rich heritage in developing vaccines. I suppose we we, we could talk about that. I mean, this, it has been suggested it could take about eighteen months to put a vaccine for COVID on um, out there. First, what's your view on that? Yes, yeah, so, so I think it's been well publicised. Uh, our CEO has been um, on the BBC and elsewhere, and uh, people of uh, academics and others have spoken about it. So we, we should be clear that uh, an eighteen-month target is is what we're all hoping for now, and that's our uh, accelerated all hands to the Tiller development program, and that's the program that looks at everything going according to plan, and, and we get a good um, response from from the vaccines that we're developing. We're pretty confident. Given the fact that Sanofi are the largest vaccine manufacturer in the world by volume, they produced over 220 million flu vaccines last year, just to give you some idea. And we are confident that, you know, not only our, our, our scale, our experience, but our expertise will help us get there within that 18 month uh, window. But, you know, it's, it's also the case that, uh, all our resources have been deployed uh, towards making sure all of the people who could be resourced towards developing this uh, in a safe and timely fashion are, are putting their mind to it right now. Can you share more about what's in development? I mean, you mentioned about a DNA vaccine before, or is that still uh, in, in development? Or, yeah, so in the, in the public domain, we, um, we what we can share is, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much how, how much your members will uh, will know about vaccines, but I guess we, we if we take a step back uh, and, and, and review what, what vaccines are, they really are just, uh, you know, a, a controlled method for training the body to respond to an external pathogen in a rapid uh, and uh, fashion that allows us to not get infected with that organism or, or that pathogen. So everybody's fully aware of how things came about with, with smallpox and so on, where we effectively uh, injected or, or gave people um, uh, exposure to large parts of the, the bacteria uh, as, it, as it was then, or the viruses and so forth. So we know that everybody understands these. What, what developed in the early 90s was a method for giving people uh, pieces of DNA uh, that were injected into the muscles, and then the muscle cells themselves take these up and transcribe parts of the protein uh, that relate to the virus or, or the other pathogen that then allow your body to develop immunity against that. And so that, that method's been used, and we have a, um, a process in place for developing, as I said, our flu vaccines, and we're using a similar method uh, 
for developing uh, what we're doing uh, at the moment with uh, against COVID uh, or COVID. Additionally, we've also just, um, as I said, collaborated with an organization called uh, Transcript Bio um, who have a messenger RNA method. So this is a non-nuclear method, so it doesn't require the, um, the DNA to get inside the nucleus, but it, uh, it actually the RNA is, made, is the factory that allows the, the code for the proteins to be uh, transferred into making those proteins. By giving people this messenger RNA, it's a far more potent, a far more reliable method uh, and rapid method of, of uh, producing uh, vaccination or um, immunogenicity to, the, to, in this case, uh, we hope, COVID and other viruses. Fascinating. And, and let's hope that, you know, um, you guys find the vaccine in, in record time. Uh, so if we talk about non-vaccine approaches, uh, Hubert, you did mention a number of uh, opportunities in your in your development pipeline. Could you give us more detail to what these medicines could be? Yeah, and I want to really take uh, uh, considerable care here as I speak about these. Uh, you know, if you don't mind, you know, we are we are a large uh, global organization, and some of our products are available in the rest of the world, but they aren't available here. So, one of the compounds that we're working on globally. Uh, and that we're doing research and development for is, is something called chloroquine or, or and it's more um, it has a better formulation called hydroxychloroquine uh, which is which is used uh, in research now the MHRA have been very clear that uh, currently the use of uh, hydroxychloroquine will be off license for the uh, treatment or the prevention of a uh, worsening infection COVID-19 so please if everybody hears what I say within that frame I, I'd really appreciate it but chloroquine's a really interesting compound. It's um, it's been around. Uh, I don't know if you're aware. Since uh, the 1600s, I think it was first used in some sort of uh, uh, form, and uh, really used uh, against malaria since the the 1940s and 50s. But other uh, uh, biological responses were found when using chloroquine, as we often do when developing medicines. We find other effects, and you know, uh, classically, many of your listeners will be familiar with what. What we found with aspirin, for example, how it then uh, affected platelets and then allowed us to to treat you know people having heart attacks or preventing heart attacks. But chloroquine also works uh, in uh, in rheumatoid arthritis in, in in some immunological areas. There's been some work done with it in uh, in looking at uh, cancer treatment because it seems to have a multitude of effects inside the cell. Now. As far as the, um, the the function against the virus is concerned, what it seems to do is change the pH inside the cell. It increases the pH, which allows the lysosomes, uh, the, 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 the cellular organelles that destroy foreign bodies and uh, proteins and uh, organisms, to act more effectively. We think this is how it, uh, it, it works. It may also affect the way that the virus binds to cells um, uh, using a similar mechanism of, of changing the pH and changing transcription of the proteins that allow it to bind. And so we're, uh, we're currently investigating this globally. Uh, we're aware of at least 31 studies um, that have been done globally. There were some interesting results in, a, in pilot studies in China showing the effect. And there was a, also another pilot done in France, which was very exciting, where the uh, about a 60% reduction in a tiny study, about 26 people, there was a 60% reduction in, in viral load. And, and we find these results really exciting, and obviously they need to be explored further. So these studies have been done by the World Health Organization, by many other institutions globally, 
uh, and that Sanofi, of course, uh, participating in, in any way um, that we can, driving some of our own studies and also participating in the other studies done by academics. So that's okay. one area that's of interest. Right now, we're, you know, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine is not indicated for COVID-19. Uh, we do need to be careful. You know, this is, these are drugs of narrow therapeutic indexes. So the margin of safety between a, a normal dose and a toxic dose are quite narrow. And so there have been cases of people uh, uh, undergoing uh, poisoning by, by, by mistake. But also the studies do look interesting, but has not been criticism about the lack of controls, Hubert, in those trials, which has caused the concern. That's why they need to be repeated. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, there will always be um, room for improvement in study design uh, at the best of times. Uh, at times like this, uh, Gina, I think you'll appreciate that we um, ourselves and the academics out there are trying to do everything that they can to find an answer as soon as possible. I think your, your comments about the control arms and so forth, um, we have modern statistical methods which allow us to control um, these studies. Uh, we have traditional methods through randomization and double blinding. But you'll appreciate that it is very difficult to to blind in studies and control studies like this when some treatments in some parts of the world have become standard of care, where clinicians are doing their utmost, even outside of um, what is currently known or, or, or licensed, um, they're administering what they believe should be a best practice and standard of care. So very tricky, and um, uh, it's it's perhaps um, it's perhaps easy to be critical of the methodology, but I think the answers will come, and the answers will come sufficiently soon and safely to allow us to make those decisions and reflect back on uh, the data and the controls. And that's a third comment. We are dealing with, again, I've already said, a disease, a virus, where there's no treatment, and the only treatment is supportive care. And so, you know, if you're that subset of individual who progressed from mild illness to viral pneumonia to acute uh, respiratory distress, it's, it's not pleasant to see. So you can understand why compassionate use is, is often needed and required. Okay, thank you, Hubert. And were you going to mention something else in development? If, before I do, I, I, you know, obviously I can speak about the, the compounds that, uh, that we here at Sanofi are working on, but there are, there are many other uh, organizations who are developing compounds as well, especially in the antiviral space. Um, I think the, the second area that's of interest to us are the anti-inflammatories, and in particular uh, an interleukin-6 inhibitor that we have. We, we're not the only company that has an interleukin-6 inhibitor, and I know that there's work ongoing at the moment in this space. Now, if we describe what happens when you get COVID, in the first instance, for the majority of people, it's a mild, self-limiting illness. It then progresses to a, a more advanced res respiratory Ill illness, and, you know, that's what we all hear about, you know, this persistent cough, this hypoxia, this breathlessness and movement into hospital where you need supportive care. And then there's a final phase where it progresses even further, which is you get this immunological challenge where things go wrong and, and you can develop a condition called ARDS, adult respiratory distress syndrome, but also um, other immunological um, malfunction. And by blocking the interleukin-6 uh, receptor, there has been some pilot work which has now been repeated and extended globally with our compound and other uh, companies' uh, compounds to explore whether or not at this stage of the, the infection and the illness, giving an interleukin-6 receptor blocker will, will help uh, patients who are suffering from the problems. And how far in development is that? Is that 
there, there are a couple of global studies that are kicking off right now. There are a couple of academic centers that we're in control of ourselves. Um, a couple of other academic uh, institutions that are that are running with with studies in this space, um, looking at these compounds. One would hope that the regulatory agencies like the FDA, EMEA, MHRA would provide some kind of regulatory flexibility to allow these things to be fast-tracked. So have you had interactions with the agencies? Have, you, have they shown willing to, to look at this in a different way? We've been in constant contact, as you can imagine, with, uh, with all the regulatory agencies. Um, and they're doing their very best under very difficult circumstances as well. So through uh, our organization has been, Sanofi have been in contact, but I can also say that uh, you know, the ABPI, the Association of British Pharmaceutical Industry, um, have been fantastic and, and really pulled everybody together. You asked earlier about collaboration. I've never seen the likes of it uh, in 25 years of every single organization, every member company getting together and, and, uh, and driving towards uh, collaboration and consistent opinion uh, and support. And uh, the ABPI have been great in trying to make sure that uh, we interact with, with not only the MHRA, but uh, directly with uh, with the CMO officers and, and Public Health England. So the collaboration has been fantastic and everyone's doing their best. So my last question is about drug supply chains. Um, and I've been working or volunteering for my local pharmacy. And I have to say, I've been very impressed by how pharmacists have stepped up to the challenge. A uh, huge volume of prescriptions, I think, they're still two days behind schedule on their scripts. Uh, um, but what we have noticed that there's been some limitations, some stock out product issues. Uh, and, and you mentioned earlier on about uh, in your four pronged approach, supply chains are, are a priority. It, you know, can you provide more information about that? I mean, how committed Snowflake is to make sure that pharmacists get, get their medicines? It has been our primary concern in addition to, as I said, you know, making sure that we collaborate, uh, we're working on prevention uh, and treatments. But of course, you know, what we do is, uh, is manufacture drugs um, uh, that need to get to patients. And so this is one area, but we also have, at least in this country, close to 350 different medicines that, that Sanofi provide. And, and globally, we have over um, three and a half thousand uh, different SKUs. So. We are uh, doing our very, very best in a rapidly evolving situation to make sure the compounds um, and our drugs get out there. Uh, and I can, I'm proud to say that uh, the response has been extraordinary, especially to those unsung heroes that, uh, that are working in our factories and manufacturing plants to make sure that we, uh, we get everything out there. And I think the latest figures that we've heard is, what's the right way of phrasing this? Our, our systems are working at 95% of maximum even during this crisis, which is truly extraordinary. We're doing our very best and monitor the situation on a daily basis uh, in terms of supply and make sure that everything gets to the pharmacies as much as possible. You'll be aware, um, uh, all of your listeners will be aware of the fact that you know, Brexit has taken a back seat, uh, but uh, for the UK, we're prepared for any um, shortages uh, and our uh, GM, uh, Hugo Fry, has been on the news quite a bit about how much preparation we've made for um, ma maintaining supply because of Brexit. Uh, and this has stood us in good stead. So in the UK, I can say for Sanofi products, we're in very good shape. As the crisis evolves, we will continue to monitor it, obviously continue to communicate with uh, all of the pharmacists out there uh, with regards to stock levels. But uh, we're in good shape at the moment and doing well. Thank you. Thank you, Hugh. Just like to say thank you to you and to the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, uh, Gino, for having me. Um, we remain uh, here at your service uh, and hope that the collaboration continues. And please 
could ask that any of your members get in touch if they have any questions. We'll do our very, very best through this crisis.